we supposed to get married? I'm going to just swipe left. I just want somebody to share my life with. We can find a lot more satisfaction if we could just manage to be a lot more present and a lot less distracted. You can keep waiting for the fairy tale, or you can get on board with the new rules of relationships. If you've watched me on NBC's Access Daily, then you know this ain't your mama's love advice. This is Dates and Mates with Damona Hoffman. Hey, lovers. Welcome to another inspiring episode of Dates and Mates. You all know that my only goal here on this show is to help you live your best life, find happiness, find love if that's what will bring you happiness, and keep the relationship in a place of satisfaction and enhancing your life as well. But one thing that evades many of us is the fact that all of this actually starts with us. We, we tend to look externally when we are looking for love or we think about our partners and what they're doing. But how are we taking care of our habits, our outlook on life, our choice to be present in love regardless of our relationship status? It's deep, y'all. And that's why I've brought in help today. I have positive psychology expert, author, and television personality Rob Mack here. He's going to share his lessons and inspirations from his new book, Love from the Inside Out, and we'll teach you how to do just that today. But as always, we kick off the show with big headlines. And this one is a big one, especially for me. I have feelings about this topic. Why is being too nice such a turnoff? And then later in Dear Demona, I will tackle this heartfelt question. My on-again, off-again relationship keeps failing, but I can't let it go. All right, friends, get ready for a feel-good episode. Let's dish. These dating dish. Pop Sugar asks, why is someone being too nice such a turnoff? Well, there was a recent study in the Journal of Personality and Individual Differences, which tested how a person's altruism affects their desirability. Altruistic people are generally people that do things that are for the greater good. And so if you are always thinking of others and always doing selfless things, they consider you high on the altruism scale. If you are kind of me first, which some folks are, if you're kind of me first, then you're going to be low on the altruism scale. And no surprise, the results are that those who behave moderately altruistic are rated as more attractive than those who behave highly altruistically. And we see this all the time in dating. Like I'm always hearing, oh, I was attracted to this person. They're great on paper, but they're just too nice. I even heard that sometimes from from people like, oh, you're just too good for me. And I'm like, what does that mean? Don't you want good? Don't you deserve good? But here's the deal. Everyone's definition of too nice is subjective, right? It's different for every person. And what this article also alludes to is that there's a difference between being too nice and love bombing. But sometimes we can't tell the difference between those two. And we like the feeling of someone paying attention to us and being nice to us and treating us well. But then there becomes a point when it's too much of being nice, when that person hasn't really gotten to know you or made an investment in being in your life. You haven't had that much time. And that's when we can be at risk for love bombing of their being nice, but at a cost, right? But then there's this whole other set of folks that say, I liked this person, but they 
were too nice. And so I didn't feel anything. And I'm just going to reveal something to y'all. When I was dating, some of you have heard this story before, but I'm going to tell it anyway, because there's a, there's a different payoff in the end. <laughs> uh, when I was dating, I was dating uh, not very nice guys, I'll be honest. And uh, we, we are not going to get into my conditioning of from past relationships, family of origin, self-worth, all of these things that were pushing me towards men who were not really suitable matches for me that did not have my best interest at heart. And I couldn't see this, obviously, blinders on. But my boss at the time, who's the person who turned me on to online dating, was like, I don't like these guys that you're dating. You should try online dating because there's a whole other pool of people who don't act like this, who will treat you nicely and you'll have a completely different experience with dating. And I didn't really believe her, but I did it anyway. And I started to see the benefit of being with somebody who was nice and how I could be with someone that didn't cause me drama, that didn't disrespect me, that kept their plans with me, that didn't put me down. And I named it as a dating plan. I called it Operation Date Nice Guys, Operation DNG for short. And I, you know, now that I've had over 15 years of dating coaching experience, I would have pushed myself to fine tune that a little bit more, but I knew what it meant to me. And Operation DNG to me meant that I would feel differently when I was with that person and that that person would feel actually highly altruistic. It would feel different than the low altruism people that I had been dating. So as I was doing this Operation DNG, I met this guy who seemed nice, I guess, on paper. And he walked in the room for our first date. And I took one look at him. I swear to you, I was like, oh, he seems so nice. He's too nice. I should set him up with somebody. I've got to know somebody who would be great. Like this guy's cute and he's smart and he's a good dresser. Um, turns out actually he's not a great dresser. He's learned how to be a good dresser. But more importantly, he is really nice. And he's now my husband because I let it be a slow burn. I let it unfold over time. And I allowed myself to be treated nicely. And it feels different when you're used to the sparks and the chemistry and you're responding to that and you're letting that fuel all of your relationships. And you've been a victim of love bombing. And all of these things that we recognize as familiar, but they're no longer serving us. They're not healthy for us in relationships. And doing Operation Date Nice Guys allowed me to press pause on that and to say when that feeling came up in my body and I thought, oh, he's so nice. I should introduce him to somebody else. To remind myself in that pause no, no, wait, you're doing Operation Date Nice Guys. You deserve a nice guy. And here's a nice guy right here. So you got to give him a chance. But I got a few tips here for the nice guys and the nice gals. I actually wrote this a few years ago for my male clients. I called it the nice guy nine. Nine things that nice guys can do to create that spark. Because a lot of times what we're responding to in the early phase of courtship is the element of surprise and mystery. And when someone is so nice and accommodating, we lose a little bit of that. And so you can still be a nice guy. You can be 
I believe, a highly altruistic person or a moderately altruistic person. Everything in moderation, right, folks? You can be an altruistic person and still create some of those dynamics that get people to lean in and be curious about us. So number one, treat the person you're with like they're the only person in the room. No wandering eyes, no talk of exes. Ugh, please, please stop saying on your dates, like, how's online dating going for you? How's dating been going? I don't want to hear it anymore. We're done. It's not part of this conversation, okay? So just treat them like they're the only person in the room. Redirect if they're like, Let's go down this rabbit hole of talking about your ex. Number two, get them talking about the things that they love. They will associate those positive feelings talking about things that they're excited about with you. So then you're nice, but you're not just nice. You're interested. Number three, I'm not going to give you guys all nine, but number three, touch. Touch is very powerful. It's surprising. You got to use it sparingly and appropriately. But a touch on the shoulder, a touch on the hand, it can send a lot of signals to get people to say, oh, wait, something different is going on here. And it kind of breaks the rhythm of what's happening. So use that at your disposal, but keep it in your back pocket for the right moments. No touching like hips, legs, like footsie. That's too much. Okay. <laughs> Tell them you like them. That's another tip. It seems so simple. But when we actually are more forthcoming with our feelings, and I'm not saying in a love bombing way, but just saying like, gosh, you're so beautiful. I'm just really having a great time with you. Or you're really funny. It's been a long time since I've talked to someone that made me laugh this much. That makes the other person feel great. And it also makes them feel connected to you. And it also, as a nice person, shows that you're willing to take a little bit of risk because sometimes people will equate nice with playing it safe. So if you're willing to share openly and unafraid of, what if that person turns you down? Who cares? It's your first or second date. Doesn't matter. Speak your truth. And then do something surprising. That's the last tip I'll share with you today. I have so much more, but you know, we got we got to get to Rob Mack. Do something surprising. So my very, very nice husband, when we went on our first date, walked me to my car and he kissed me. And I really was not expecting it because I had categorized him as nice guy. Now I'm not saying just like pounce and go, just go for it. Like we do have to pay attention to consent, obviously. But you, there's a lot of ways that you can create surprise that don't have to be physical, but it totally flipped my thinking in my brain of like, this is this guy who is nice, who's respectful, who is a great listener, who's intelligent, and there's a little bit of mystery here. There's something else that I didn't expect him to do, and there's more here to be discovered. And you all know, if you've been listening to the show for a while, that curiosity is the thing that will lead you from the first date to the second to the third. So we want to keep the curiosity alive, but let's advocate for nice. I think we all deserve to be treated nicely and almost like, can we demand to be treated nicely, like in a nice way? I think that would change a lot of our experiences with dating. And let's not put up with low altruistic folks anymore because a lot of our dating frustration does come from allowing that low vibration and letting it impact our psyche and the way we feel about ourselves and about dating. 
If you like that little pep talk, <laughs> there's so much more. We're going to be talking to my friend Rob Mack about how to have happiness from the inside out and therefore how to create love from the inside out when we come back. Welcome back. Rob Mack is here with me. He's an Ivy League-educated positive psychology expert, an inspirational speaker, and a published author. His work has been endorsed by Oprah, Vanessa Williams, Lisa Nichols, and many others. You may have seen him on the E! show, Famously Single. You may have read his first book, Happiness from the Inside Out, but have you heard about his new book release, Love from the Inside Out? I am so excited for this conversation. Please help me give big smooches to my friend, Rob Mack. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I can't believe you haven't been here before, but it's it's long overdue. And what perfect timing, because you have a new book out. Yes, exactly. Imagine that, new book out. So yeah, I'm excited uh, to release the book. Always great to talk to you. I mean, it's always so much fun. Oh. So now when we're talking about this new book, Love from the Inside Out, obviously you're on Dates and Mates. <laughs> so yes. a lot of people here are looking for love. Do you feel like there's a different part of our our happiness that needs to come forward when we're moving into relationships or desiring them? Yes, for sure. I mean, relationships, like they're a mirror for everything that's going on within you that might be at a conscious level of awareness or below a conscious level of awareness. And so it really is sort of a litmus test for you, for where you truly are in like your self-love journey and your happiness journey, your spiritual journey, whatever you want to call it. So you encourage people in the book to practice the presence of love. And yes. I first, I just have to know, what did you mean when you wrote that piece? Yeah. So love for me is a synonym for happiness. So when you're truly tapped into and turned on and you're happy in your togetherness with somebody else, I call that love. So your happiness shared is love. So practicing the presence of that love is the practicing feeling in to that peace, love, and happiness that's infinitely and eternally available to you at all points in time that doesn't depend on anybody else being there or not being there. So that is a practice that I think most of us aren't even aware of. You know, we really look to other people and other things to make us or help us feel what we want to feel. And I think there's an opportunity for all of us, particularly myself, to take back my power, to take back our power. I feel like our culture is set up where everyone is like in pursuit of a relationship. Like there's this never attainable goal, right? It's like, we just, we, it's like, get to the relationship. And then you get to the relationship and it's like, and get married and have kids. It's this like driving yeah. beat all the time. And then like my husband and I have been together, we've been married 15 years. And then now what, right? <laughs> like if yes. you're always in that striving and you're never in the presence of moment and you're never in love, having love, practicing love and happiness with yourself, it will still feel like it's on the other side of the glass. Absolutely. It's always striving, never arriving, you know, always seeking, never satisfied. And, you know, in positive psychology world, we talk about that as the hedonic treadmill or hedonic adaptation. It's like a rat race of its own kind. You know, you got the rat race of working a job nine to five and hoping that you'll save enough to eventually retire. And then you get to retirement, maybe if you're lucky. And then you're like, now what? And so that experience of like, always seeking and always striving and never arriving is something I think we're all intimately familiar with. And 
it's important to know that we don't have to live our lives this way. We can live our lives with a lot more present moment satisfaction and love, even if everyone isn't always well behaved, or even if life doesn't show up the way you want it to show up. Yeah. And in the book, you talk about practicing the presence of love and that we're in the age of distraction. And so it can really be so simple. Falling in love with the moment, I, I've really been trying to practice mindfulness and gratitude a lot, and I do this with my clients as well. Can you offer any other insights on ways that people can really access that love in the present? Yeah, like you can't enjoy anything without presence. If you're distracted while you're doing it, it's literally impossible to enjoy it. So we can find a lot more satisfaction and enjoyment with everything and everybody in our lives if we could just manage to be a lot more present and a lot less distracted. Mm. I want to talk about how that shows up in dating. I, I feel like dating today does require a lot more presence. So people are sort of nostalgic for like, it was so much easier before, which in a way it was, but it's a trade-off because we weren't having as many dates. We weren't talking to as many people simultaneously. And our social networks were smaller. So we had less access to people outside of our community or our immediate area. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. But in the context of online dating, are there best practices that people can adopt when they are, let's say, on a dating app that can bring them back to the present moment? So best practices, I'd say, first of all, you know, clarify in advance what it is that you really want, values, lifestyle choices. Try not to get overly specific and obsessive about it. Um, that's one. Stop at good enough. So once you meet somebody that you feel pretty good about, like play that out a little. Let it play out. You don't have to continue to like swipe on everyone all day, every day until you find, you know, a hundred people. And then, you know, I would say just notice and try to learn from the past a little. So if you find things that did or didn't work for you, try to apply it now in the present and going forward. I'd also say, you know, be intentional and mindful around your use of the apps anyway. Like if you're in a low mood, going on the apps probably isn't going to improve your mood, right? So if you're in a neutral mood or slightly above a neutral mood, you're going to be a lot more open and receptive and probably a lot better at communicating with people as well. Uh, believe it or not, people pick up on the emotion that you are feeling inside your own mind, heart, and soul when you're texting or DMing or on the phone with them. Uh, so you might be using all the right words, but you're like, what's happening here? How many of somebody's interested? They're not really, you know, keeping up with the conversation or whatever. And you won't realize that it's actually you and the emotional contagion that's playing out underneath the surface there. Yeah. My buddy Nick Vile said on another podcast I was listening to about texting. It was so genius. I wish I thought of it, but um, I'll just claim it for my own right now. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm kidding. I wouldn't do that. Everybody does anyway. It's fine. <laughs> but he said people read your texts in the mindset that they're in, not in the mindset that you sent them. I, I'm always talking about when we're texting, it's asynchronous communication. It's not real time. And we don't have all of the context clues of facial expression, body language, intonation. There's so much more in either a phone conversation, a video chat, or a face-to-face -face interaction that you do not get. And yet people are trying to like screen and determine like, is this person going to be my husband? I mean, I've sent, we've sent 25 messages back and forth. Like, I feel like I know them. You really don't. You, Demona, you nailed it. I mean, and we've all had that experience. I mean, so much is lost in translation and communication when you're live with someone and you can see their facial expressions and you can hear the intonation of the voice and the pitch and see their body language. 
imagine all the things that are lost in translation when you're just texting or DMing somebody. Like you send the message and you're in one mood. The other person is in a different mood, so they interpret it differently. You know, and it's compounded and complicated over time. And this is also why first impressions are so important. You create an idea about somebody and that idea could be based on the fact that you are in a bad mood. And now suddenly everything they send begins to look like the first message they send. It kind of confirms the bias that you have in your head about who this person is and how they show up. When the truth is, it all started with you. What's the fix for that, Rob? Well, I think it's emotional regulation and cognitive agility. You know, um, the more emotionally regulated you can be. So in other words, the more consistently peaceful you can be and unconditionally peaceful you can be and happy. um, You'll find that you kind of keep your mind and heart open to consider alternative explanations for why this person seemed to send an unkind or mean message or whatever, right? So you don't fall victim to the cognitive biases and distortions in your brain so easily. So when you're in a bad mood, you're like, wait, I'm in a bad mood. You're aware of that. I might have a tendency since I'm in this bad mood to see things in a bad way. You know, my mood will color and pollute the communication that's happening. So just that awareness alone of um, sort of this mood congruent experience that we all have every day is very helpful. That combined with emotional regulation and cognitive agility, essentially being able to become increasingly independent of what's happening around you to still find happiness or peace or love. That's why I focus on it so much because it's like a major Mm. master key for so many challenges that we face in everyday life. Yeah. And just to um, unpack that for people who are not Ivy League educated, when Uh you're saying- Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. I got the bills to prove it. (laughs) But when you say like emotional regulation, basically you're talking about like being able to stay calm. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, yes. Like, can you remain cool, calm and composed in the midst of chaos or confusion or conflict? You know, you don't have to be perfect at it. It's not about that. It's just that, you know, sometimes we joke and say that person runs hot. Man, that person's always running so hot. That is generally not always, but can be a very emotionally dysregulated person. I was just going to add one thing that's been a big game changer for me is also like a philosophy that everyone is doing their best. And that being said, Reminding yourself that everybody's doing the best they can is also an extraordinarily constructive way of perceiving and experiencing whatever's happening, right? So to say that that the world is ultimately out there and against me and after me sort of thing, or, you know, all men suck or all women suck or all men play games or all women play games, you know, however you want to spin it, that's not a constructive story. That is not going to support you in finding love or happiness or peace. I promise you. Hmm. That's awesome. I hadn't thought of it in that way. Since you have a background in positive psychology, I'm also, um, this isn't in the book, y'all, but (laughs) I want want to get your perspective on preparation for dates because like you were saying, like the mood that you go into the date with, sometimes, you know, you've set the time for the date. Like I'm having a date this, you know, Wednesday night, right? And then let's say you go to work and like, Something messed up. People were doing their best, but their best wasn't good enough. And you're dysregulated. You're in a yeah. different state. And you've got to get regulated to enter your date in a mindset that's going to be conducive. Now, there are yeah. some people that in that state will just ghost. And I think we have way too much of that. But I'm only one person. You're only one person. I don't think we're going to stop the ghosting epidemic just on our own. But maybe we can just help everyone listening clean up their side of the street. I'm a believer in the 
physiological effects of taking certain actions and steps and that you can actually change your state of mind quickly by doing certain things. I want to know from you, though, because you spent a lot more money to figure this out. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Facts. Yeah, more facts. (laughs) What what do you suggest someone does if they're coming from from a state of being dysregulated and you got to show up for this date with your head right? So you want to be practicing We'll call it emotional regulation, but just chilling out. You want to learn how to like practice that all day, every day, just for its own sake, because it's fun and it feels better to feel good than it does to feel bad. Okay. That's number one. So, um, you know, you don't wait till the 13th hour to practice for the marathon kind of thing. So that's first. Second, you can identify like happiness islands or chill out islands, whatever you want to call them. But the idea is like, what are those things that are specific to Demona or Rob or whoever you are out there in the world that allow you to feel inspired? relaxed, happy, just joyful or peaceful? Like, What are those things that for you work best? For me, exercise is probably one of the greatest you know, thing practices ever or happiness islands ever. Anytime I exercise, even if it's not a great workout, I still feel better afterwards. My mind's quieter. You know, I've worn my body out a little bit. So if there was stress or anxiety, I don't have nearly as much stress or anxiety. And I generally feel kind of joyful or at least peaceful. And part of the working out is actually is music. Like music is one of the fastest ways to shift your emotion and your mood, your state that exists out there in the world. The other thing um, I believe in, of course, is nature, being out in the sun. I think most of us probably don't get enough sunshine or vitamin D. It's interesting how helpful that can be going for a walk, being out in nature, being out in sunshine. The other piece is breath, it's breathing. But it feels so good just to take a breath in through your nose and out through your mouth and to do it from the stomach. We know that induces um, the relaxation response. And the more you can practice just breathing for the joy of it alone, while you let all your thoughts go, the easier it becomes. And before long, it's about 22 to 66 days. If you did it consistently, you'd rewire your brain and body to begin to do it automatically. So for me, those are some of the best tips, tricks, techniques, but everyone will have certain activities that probably work better for them. You know, the way I sometimes say it is get out of the explanations in your brain and get into the experience of your body. One of my favorite quotes is, um, you know, it's an extraordinary life if you don't overthink it, you know, and that's just the truth. It's like if you look around and you keep your mind quiet and you just try to enjoy more of your experiences without being lost in this overthinking and overanalysis, life is actually pretty extraordinary. And you'll be surprised, like your dating, like everything will improve. That's the beautiful and wonderful thing about it is that if you can kind of rediscover this sort of joy and not thinking. And being more in your body and your senses and more in the present moment, everything improves on its own without so much Mm. time, energy, and effort on your part. And it's sort of miraculous and magical. It doesn't happen all at once, but it happens and it happens more and more, you know, every day. You know, I I just want to acknowledge, like, uh, I'm not sitting here from a place of like, well, I figured it all out. I'm just like offering what has been helpful for me and what brings me joy and happiness from the inside out. Oh, look you know, at that. Look at that. Fr- ah. <laughs> getting the book, getting the books in there. <laughs> I, I do want to bring it back to the book for a second because there was one chapter that really stood out to me that might resonate with the Dates and Mates audience. Chapter six, loneliness, aloneness, all oneness. Hmm. Can you unpack that for us? Yes. Um, so a lot of us think of aloneness and loneliness as synonyms, like it's the same experience or the same thing. Um, aloneness is the objective experience of being by yourself. 
Okay, so when you're just by yourself or you don't have a whole lot of social connections or social support or any friends or any family and you're just alone and you're in a room by yourself, that's aloneness. Loneliness is the subjective experience of that, meaning how you feel about that aloneness. You can be alone all by yourself and not be lonely. And lots of us have had that experience before where you're so caught up in a movie or you're so caught up in your exercise or you're so caught up in the music that you don't even notice or feel any loneliness whatsoever, right? And we can also have the opposite experience where you can be surrounded by people, thousands of people in a crowd, at a concert, at a party, maybe it's your party, maybe it's your birthday party, and feel deeply, truly lonely. And so it's important, I think, to help people understand that aloneness is not loneliness and does not lead to loneliness. I want people to recognize that they have a lot more power in control with respect to feeling good and to feeling loved and to feeling loving and to feeling happy than they might be giving themselves credit for. Hmm. Yeah, this was a big game changer for me. Some of my longtime listeners know the story, but I realized I was working with a coach before I met my husband and she accurately identified that I was really terrified of being alone. Like I filled my schedule with all of the things. I had plans with other people. I had work. I had extracurriculars. I was <laughs> packed, stacked. And really that was a coping strategy, I think, for, for you know, I did that like when my parents got divorced and people were like, how are you handling your parents' divorce? I was like, it's not my divorce. Like it's not really affecting me. I have play practice. I have cheerleading. <laughs> I am golfing. Like I, I was like, I'm busy. I'm not really worried. Which obviously now I'm like, what a dumb response. Obviously it was affecting me. But that was my coping mechanism until I had my coach point this out. And she was like, you don't spend any time alone. And how do you know really what makes you tick? And you know how how can you really hear the real thoughts if there's always external inputs and chatter going on. So she gave me an assignment to do these artist dates with myself where I had to spend three hours alone every week. And now I hear, I'm like, oh, I would love three hours alone. But <laughs> at the time, <laughs> I'm like, how do I get this? No, I still actually prioritize my alone time, um, you know, even with, with a family. But I freaked out. I was like, three hours alone? by myself, that is, how, what? Like she was like consecutive hours. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna do this. And the first few weeks, it was torture, it was hell. I just was like, what am I gonna do for all this time? And I had to really sit with that aloneness and be faced with it and start to listen to it. And within a few weeks, maybe months, I started to really look forward to that alone time and embrace it and crave it. And it was not long after that I ended up meeting my husband. And I really feel like it came from a different place because I was, I was choosing partnership rather than like grasping at it. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Some non-resistant, non-needy, non-desperate energy. That energy is so much more attractive and it's so much more productive and profitable. You're right. I mean, that True mark of a happy person is someone who can sit alone in the room by themselves with nothing but their own thoughts to keep them company. You know, that's how you know if, you, you, if you're truly happy, right? I'm not so, there yet. Not there. It's okay. <laughs> We're all working that. I think lots of people, hopefully most of us have, you know, these, these Ferraris for a brain and we have like a lead foot. And we just slam yeah. down on that gas pedal 
and just doing donuts in the parking lot of our minds all day, every day, you know? So the challenge and opportunity is to become a lot more intentional about how you think and what you think and even whether or not you think at all. Thank you so much for joining me, Rob. Y'all, you got to follow Rob on Instagram. There's so much more inspiration, positivity, lifestyle changes that await you at Rob Mac Official. And be sure to grab your copy of Love from the Inside Out at coachrobmack.com slash books. We will put the link in the show notes. In a moment, I will be answering the following listener question. My ex and I aren't a great fit, but I can't stop thinking about him and vice versa. Now what? I'll tell you in a sec. You know, my favorite thing to do is to answer your dating and relationship questions. So let's get into the matter at hand. Dear Damona. Damona, help me. Kristen says, hi, Damona. I have an entire notebook dedicated to your advice. Thank you for all that you do. I am so honored, Kristen. So here's what Kristen says. I'm a 39-year-old woman, and I was in a three-and-a-half-year relationship with a 50-year-old man. We were exclusive, but more casual for the first two and a half years, which we both wanted. Then I had some changes in my life that made me realize I wanted more commitment and security and spoke with him about it. He agreed that he wanted more too. It was okay for a little bit, but never quite enough for me. I explicitly gave him examples of what I needed, and he never followed through with the behaviors and actions I told him I needed. I brought this up to him, and he promised he would do better. Mind you, the number one thing I said I needed was for him to ask me how I'm doing that day and to truly listen to my response. Nothing wild. About a year ago, I decided that I'd had enough and he wasn't going to change, so I broke up with him. A few months later, he reached out. We tried again, but it was very short-lived. Here we are, a year later, and he is beating down my door and promising to be who I want and need. I've dated in the meantime, and I still can't stop thinking about him and what we could have done. Please help. Kristen, I feel for you, girl. There's so much at hand here because you have history with this person. You have an emotional attachment to this person. And there's a lot of familiarity and there are a lot of positives in this relationship that we kind of get nostalgic about when we are starting back at the beginning, like the first dating loop. So, you know, I have all these dating loops like mindset, sourcing, screening, presentation, follow through. You were in the follow through part and you got catapulted back to mindset. And now you're kind of waffling between those two places in the cycle because this person is telling you that they want to change and they, they want to meet your needs but they have shown that they can't do it. And I know you probably got into that notebook of yours, <laughs> a quote from Maya Angelou that I always come back to, when someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time. And you started this relationship on different terms. And Kristen, it's totally your prerogative to change the terms of the relationship because something changed within you. Your needs and wants changed. but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are able to change with you in the way that you need them to. And it sounds like you gave several shots to this person to show up in the way that you need them to show up for you. And what are his actions? 
and everyone listening, like really pay attention to the actions of the people that you're dating because it's the words matching the actions that really show you what someone is capable of. And no shade to this guy. Like he is probably a wonderful person, but he was sort of playing by a different rule book in the relationship previously. And then like, you know, when you show up to a test and then you're like, wait, 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 I read chapter two. And then the test was on chapter three. And you're like, I don't really know the answers. And like, even if you have the answer key and it's open book, like I failed and cheated my way through chemistry in high school, y'all. I'm not even gonna lie. <laughs> Isn't that ironic? Yes, physics, no chemistry. But anyways, that happened to me a lot. And that's kind of what you've done with this fellow right here. And he's just not ready. He's just not ready to move up to AP level, okay? And that's disappointing. I get it. It's really disappointing when you have this connection and you feel like, I've got a lot of these boxes checked. And now I got to start back at step one because Demona is just like, this person can't meet my needs. But that's what you're telling me, that you have this core need of what you want in a relationship now. And they don't have that chapter. Why are you not feeling connected when you're going on other dates? Why are you still thinking about him when you're on other dates? Because you're in that comparison point. You're trying to kind of push the fast forward button and get to the comfortable phase of the follow through in the relationship when you're starting. You're in chapter one now with these other people. But you can tell them on the syllabus what is expected of them. And through time, you will find that you're thinking about him less and that you are meeting people who meet your expectations more. And eventually, as you can focus on the present with the person in front of you, the past will start to fade in the distance more. And it will become a guardrail to make sure that you are moving in the direction that you want your life to head. It sounds like commitment and serious relationship is where you want to go. And it's probably going to take a little bit of time. And it is probably going to take a little bit more mindset self-work to fortify that feeling of what you really deserve in a relationship. So hold to that because that is what's going to anchor you through this next phase of your love life. I hope that helps, Kristen. And I hope that helped all of my listeners who may have been in that situation before or may be facing something similar right now, this was episode 428 of Dates and Mates. You know I'm making this show for you, so you got to tell me what you want. Tell me what your questions are. I love getting voice memos. You can DM me with your actual voice. We haven't had any for a while. I do have one coming up, but I want to hear your voice. DM me at Demona Hoffman or you can leave me a voicemail at 424-246-6255. Of course, if you're feeling shy, text me or DM me. But I do love to hear your voice, and I love to be able to answer your specific questions. If you've gotten value from this show, like Kristen has, if you have a little notebook with Demona-isms, or you've just been able to make some mental shifts or shifts in the way that you're dating or approaching your relationship, leave us a review. Let us know. You can be like Alice in Wonderland who says, Demona demonstrates with ease why she is a leader in her field. It's resource-rich, concise, funny, and quirky. Wait, have I told you that my one of my online usernames, like back when we didn't use our real names, but we used 
our usernames. It was actually quirky. You got me. You, I feel so seen here, Alice. Oh, my gosh. But uh, she says it still remains objectively relatable and useful information that you can implement. That is just my whole goal here on the show. So if you have something different to add, I'd love to hear from you. Go ahead and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. Don't forget that my signature program is coming up, the Dating Accelerator Program. I only run it two times a year. So this is the last one that you're going to get with me live this year. If you want in, we start September 19th. You can sign up at thedatingsecret.com. I would love to welcome you in the program. I'd love to meet you in person. I'd love for you to work with my VIP coach as well. And we can get a dating plan to meet your man, your woman, whatever you're looking for. Everyone is invited, regardless of gender, regardless of orientation, regardless of what kind of relationship you want. So come on over to thedatingsecret.com and join me for the Dating Accelerator program starts September 19th. And the link, of course, will be in the show notes. We will be back again next Tuesday with Kim and Grandma Gail of the Excuse My Grandma podcast. I was on their show a few weeks ago. I had a blast, y'all. So definitely listen to their show and then definitely listen to my interview with the two of them talking about the differences in dating for different generations. Until then, I wish you happy dating.